Hey, welcome to episode one of the Learning to Preach podcast. We want to talk about the top five rookie mistakes that we are all prone to make in preaching. Uh, these are very noticeable, very real. All of us have made them. You've probably made them if you're watching or listening to this. And what we want to do is try to make you aware of them so you can begin to see why they take uh, attention and focus away from your sermon and why they're things you need to begin to modify as quickly as you can. Uh, so we're going to talk about each of them. We'll take uh, each, we'll, I've got five of them and we'll take each one and talk about it for a little bit and then move on to the next one. So here's the first one. Uh, the first big mistake that people make uh, is having no big idea. Um, the concept of a big idea is borrowed from Haddon Robinson in his really excellent and helpful book, Biblical Preaching. Uh, he talks about every sermon has to have a big idea, a main point, a thesis, an objective, an aim, something you, if you want people to walk out remembering or thinking about one theme, one topic, one idea, that's what it is. Um, Haddon Robinson, in fact, says no sermon is ready to preach until you have a big idea that can be expressed in one sentence. Uh, I heard someone else, I can't remember who it is, talk about the 3 a.m. test. If I woke you up in the middle of the night and said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? What would you blurt out at 3 a.m. out of a dead sleep? That's, that's the big idea. Um, you have to have that. And if you don't have a big idea, here's what your sermon's going to be. This is a phrase from my dad. My dad uh, is a, a pastor and preacher for years. He's in his 70s now. But I worked under him and sort of learned how to preach early on as a young pastor uh, under him. And we used to have preaching meetings. It was a very large church with a big preaching team. And so there was five or six of us who filled the pulpit at various places. And so we'd have a preaching meeting every week. And my dad used to say every once in a while, hey, that was a basket full of fragments. And what he meant was there was no unity. There was no coherence. There was no big idea. You said a bunch of stuff, and it was like you threw a bunch of stuff in a basket, and that's what I walked out with. Uh, that's what you'll have if you have no big idea. Uh, guys, any thoughts on this mistake and how it plays out in preaching? I would just affirm, I think the, the 3 a.m. test has been really helpful uh, in terms of being able to, in a moment, articulate what is this sermon about. Um, if you don't have that in place, it's really hard to go into the pulpit with confidence. Now, now, most of the writers on this will say um, you actually end up with both an exegetical big idea, what's the big idea of the passage, and also a homiletical big idea, what's the big idea of your sermon. Uh, what's, so those things aren't always going to be the same. In other words, the exegetical big idea is here's what the passage is talking about. You might phrase that in a catchy way that's sort of the big idea of your sermon. So one is more of a rhetorical device, a memory device. One is more of an exegetical. What's this text saying? And again, we'll, as we build out this podcast, we'll talk about each of those. Um, but the first thing you need as a preacher is a big idea. And the first rookie mistake is not having one. Uh, don't make that mistake. If you're going to preach have a thesis statement, have a big idea, know at 3 a.m. what it is you want to say when you wake up the next morning to preach. Uh, here's the second rookie mistake. Uh, you guys have all, well, not all of you, but some of you have made this, this one. It's a common one, too much content. Um, you have too many things to say. They're probably all good. They probably all need to be said. All of them are insightful. All of them are wise. All of them are going to help people. There's so many good things to say. Here's the point. that The Bible is, if it's the Word of God, which we believe that it is, then it has infinite value for us. There's so many things you could say from any text that people need to hear, that are important, <clears throat> that glorify God. But here's the problem. You can't say them all. And so the goal of preaching is to say something 
not to say everything. One of the common mistakes I see in young preachers is just trying to say too much, do too much, communicate too much in a sermon. Now, I know you think, hey, I've got 25, 30, 40 minutes. I can say a lot of things. Here's the problem. If you take 40 minutes and say a lot of things, your audience won't remember any of them. If you take 40 minutes and do a really good job saying one or two things really, really clearly and developing them and building out, your congregation walks out remembering what you said and captured by what you said. So it's not about the time limit. It's about what you have to say and whether you're saying it effectively and efficiently in a way that's very memorable. Uh, for those of you that have struggled with this one, what have you learned about the, the mistake of having too much content? <laughs> it's a lot more work to actually simplify. Why? Well, I mean, a lot of people think it's a lot of work to find a lot of resources, content, come up with stories, read commentaries. In, in my opinion, my experience, that's actually been some of the easiest stuff. Is in, And then it's you know filtering it down to actually like what makes sense of that big idea. And so... That's really the hard work is actually figuring out where the big idea is, staying on it, staying on course, and then it really simplifies what we're going to put in there. And then we can come to a table on Monday afternoon and say, hey, what's, what's the best stuff here? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. well, I think for us, too, like, the temptation is to say everything we can because we only get to do this once or twice <laughs> yeah. a year. If you're not preaching every week, you want Sweet to say as much as you can. Yeah, but for someone who's doing this week in and week out and has months and years to build out, ideas, I think it's much easier to not pressurize yourself and say, I've got to say it all now. It's like, no, I've got three, four weeks, I've got eight weeks, I've got however many. So, yeah. Uh, here, let's talk about the third rookie mistake. Oh, by the way, let me say a little more on number two. When Will Walker and I were ministering together in the early days of Coram Deo, uh, Will's one of the best preachers I know and was really helpful to me uh, in building my own preaching voice. Uh, we used to preach, Will and I, when we were um, sharing the pulpit, we tended to preach 43 to 45 minutes if you count the scripture reading at the beginning of the sermon. And uh, he, he called me into his office one day. He's like, hey, I think our sermons would be better if they were 36 minutes. And he just said, let's try to trim from 42 to 36. Can we say the same uh, the same stuff in six minutes less. That was a really helpful practice for us just to say, okay, hey, we've gotten a little bit in the rhythm of preaching. We kind of know how long we tend to preach. What if we just set a goal of trying to shrink that down and say it faster and more efficiently and more concisely? I don't mean faster in terms of pace, but I mean shrink the overall length of the sermon. Uh, what could we get done in 36 minutes? And that was a really helpful discipline. So if you're trying to figure out how do you solve this problem, one is the work of editing, the work of editing your, your sermon script and manuscript. But the second is after you preach, trying to evaluate and saying, could I have said that in fewer words? Could I have trimmed anything, made it more efficient? Uh, you're, you're asking basically, what's the director's cut of the movie? If, you know, if, I, could, if I could say, all right, here's the, here's the scenes we pulled out. The movie didn't need them. Uh, that's kind of what you're trying to, to do to avoid that mistake. All right, here's the third mistake. Um, no signposting. Uh, sometimes, let me explain what a signposting is, okay? Uh, someone who taught public speaking, I don't think this was a preacher, I think this was, this was uh, uh, just someone who was a good communicator. I can't remember who the quote comes from. Uh, it's, you can probably find on the internet attributed to seven different people. But uh, the, the quote was, the, the way to communicate is to tell people what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. 
Um, in other words, that's what signposting is. It's here's what I'm about to say. Let me say these things, and then hey, let me remind you what I just said. Signposting when you're when you're delivering a 30 minute or a 40 minute sermon, the only way the congregation or the audience is going to flow with you is if they know how to mentally follow you. None of us have the attention span to follow a rambling 30 minute monologue without knowing what am I listening for. So you're kind of giving the cues to say, hey, here's the three points I'm going to make, or here's my outline, or here's the here's what I want to convince you of today. And you're cueing the audience in on, hey, where, when am I going to transition? When you hear me go from point one to point two, now your mind knows, okay, now we're moving to a new section. Uh, it, it helps you be able to pay attention. It's why every TV show that's out these days has episodes, right? Because you're not watching a whole season at once. It's episode one, episode two, episode three. It's why podcasts are built that way. It's why most of the content in our world is why books have chapters. It's because you, you can't take in a ton of content. You need to know when are we making the next move. And so a lack of signposting, a lack of clearly letting your congregation, your audience know, okay, here's when we're moving to the next point, is a, is a big-time rookie mistake. And what it leads to is a loss of attention among your audience because they just can't follow you for 30 minutes without knowing where are we going next. Any of you guys familiar with this mistake? Uh, have you experienced it? Yeah, the one thing I remember you, you painted a picture of, hey, it's like telling people you're getting on a bus with you for the morning and here's the three stops we're gonna make on this bus and here's where we're going at the end. So that way, it sort of gives you this imagery to kind of draw into of like, oh yeah, I need to tell people what, what vehicle are we in? You know, how long is this trip gonna last? All that stuff. So that's a helpful image, I think, that goes with that. Yeah, the tour guide analogy is yeah. really, really helpful here. And I think it does two things. One, I think good signposting gives you confidence and reminds you of where you're at in the sermon. Mm -hmm. But it also helps the congregation have confidence in you as a communicator because if you signpost well, they'll have, a, they'll have more and more confidence that you know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, for any tour guide, you, you want the people on the tour to have confidence in you. Hey, one of the... One of the key things as a preacher is that your congregation is nervous for you. They want you to do well. They want to believe that you're going to do great. And the more confidence they have that you know where you're going, the more they can relax and listen to what you're actually saying. Because if you've ever watched someone who's really nervous giving a speech, you start to not pay attention to what they're saying, and you're just worried about whether they're going to be okay, and do they feel good, and is this a good experience for them? So the more you you communicate, hey, I know where we're going, and here's where we're headed, you do build confidence in your audience, which is helpful. Uh, here's the fourth uh, rookie mistake. Uh, here's the language we use at Coram Deo. I don't know what other people would call this, but the idea is no pastoral burden. Uh, there, there's no sense of um, being having a longing for the congregation of why they need to hear this, why this matters for them, why there's something spiritual and soulish at stake here. Uh, this is what makes a sermon different from a lecture, different from a college classroom, different from uh, you know a workplace ongoing learning initiative, is that the person in the pulpit has some kind of a burden some kind of a longing that the people of God need this, need to know this, need to hear this, need to be reminded of this, or there are going to be consequences for them spiritually uh, and in their relationship with God. If, the, if you as a preacher have a great outline and a great big idea and really good signposting, but there's no sense of earnestness, no sense of pastoral burden, no sense of um, you need to hear this and here's why, what your sermon will be is very clear, but it will lack that sort of intangible sense of the Spirit of God wants to do something through the words I'm about to say. This is one of those things that's very hard to build. It comes through prayer. It comes through 
Uh, communion with the Lord, it comes through reflection on the people that I'm speaking to and what they need. But if you lack a pastoral burden, you end up sort of basically giving a lecture to a church full of people. And again, all of us have done that at some point, and it's not going to kill your sermon, but it will fail to have the spiritual effect that you need it to if it lacks that sense of pastoral burden. So as much as you can, all of us at some point are going to preach a dry sermon that feels a little bit like a lecture. That's just part of learning how to preach. But as you learn to preach, you've got to ask yourself the question, why do people need this? What do do I hope the Spirit of God's going to do with this? Why am I motivated to get up and say these things in front of a room full of people? If there's not a sense that you're burdened, that you have a a longing for the people to know this, your sermon's not going to be compelling. Thoughts on that one? I think the value here with this one is that without a pastoral burden, you inform people but you may not transform people. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And you might convey biblical truth, but you don't necessarily provoke worship in your hearers. And the goal of any sermon is that they would become more preoccupied with God, have a deeper sense of His grace, and ultimately be changed. Um, So I just think the pastoral burden is really important here. I think John Piper calls this uh, preaching with gravity and gladness. Like this real sense of joy in the Lord, but this real sense of if they don't get this, something is really at stake here. Yeah, Yeah, that was the way I was going to say it is what's at stake is the easy question to ask to find this. So Good. And one of the, there's an old uh, preacher who mentored me when I was a young preacher. And that was the question he always asked me is he would look at my outline and say, hey, that's a great outline. What's at stake? If people don't hear this, what's at stake? That's a great way to build that sense of pastoral burden. Here's the fifth rookie mistake. Um, and this one's very common. Non-Christocentric sermons. What I mean is, you preach a good sermon, a biblical sermon, one that's rooted in the text, one that communicates important biblical information, but Jesus isn't at the center of it. Uh, again, this one's a real easy mistake to make because... You can, miss, you can miss Jesus in your sermon, but still have a good, biblical, satisfying sermon that, will, that people will see. This is from the Bible. This is good biblical information. Uh, the question that's helpful to ask here that, again, someone who mentored me uh, taught me to ask is just, hey, if your sermon could be preached in a Jewish synagogue and people would feel like it was a good sermon, you've probably missed Jesus a little bit, right? Like the, the, whole, the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus is the center. We share the Old Testament with our Jewish brothers and sisters, but if your sermon could be preached in a synagogue and people will go, that was great, good biblical information, there's probably something about Christ that's missing from it. Or you could ask it this way, if you could preach it in a church that doesn't believe the gospel, just people who believe in being good moral human beings, if you could preach your sermon in that kind of a context and they would go, oh, that was great, that was challenging, that was inspiring, there's probably a sense in which you've missed Jesus. For a sermon to be properly Christian, it has to have the person and work of Jesus Christ at the center of the sermon. That's the only way that it can be rightly Christian and that it can rightly represent what we believe is the center point of all of Scripture. If we truly believe that the entire Old Testament prepares us for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that all the New Testament is a reflection on the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, then all of our sermons in some way have to get to Jesus. There's a famous quote from Charles Spurgeon you've probably heard that I won't do justice to, but he basically talks about when he's teaching men to preach, hey, look, 
Uh, at every, from every hamlet in England, there's a path to London. And you better figure out what that path is. In every, in every little part of Scripture, there's a path to Jesus. And your job is to find that path and get on it and get me to Christ. Um, for you guys that have worked on this, and we care about this a lot at Coram Deo, uh, what's been helpful in, in sort of figuring out how to get, how to avoid this mistake? Well, I think one, being convinced of the necessity of it. If you're not getting to Christ, you're not getting to the place where people can experience true change and lasting change. Um, so I think one is being convinced of the necessity of it. Beyond rookie mistakes, I think it's, there's, there's ways to do it that are more sophisticated than others, that are more engaging than others. So there's a lot of good resources out there today, something even as simple as the Jesus Storybook Bible that will help make those connections. And I think that's, you have to be convinced that it's important, but you don't just want to stop there either as a communicator. Good. So you want to get creative and, and, yeah, and sort of elaborate in the way, the tools you have to do this one. But the point we're making here is try not to make this mistake. Try to make sure that whatever tools you use, that Christ is at the center of your sermon. I would just add to that real quick, too, that it's really helpful to have both a breadth and a depth uh, in your knowledge of Scripture there. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes making those Christocentric connections... If you're in the New Testament, you have to backtrack to the Old Testament to understand why this has particular meaning for these people and how you actually get the fullness of Christ in that. And vice versa in the Old Testament, being able to kind of see forward to the new, I think brings some of that out of the text as well. I also think there's a temptation to just add this on at the end, yeah. not having thoroughly worked through the scripture and to, to your point on Spurgeon's quote, to find the pathway that's already there and to say, oh, I've done this great sermon. Now I just need to add Jesus on at the end somehow, you know, with yes. my little four laws or some sort of presentation at the end. That's not necessarily bad, but that might not be doing justice to the scripture itself. Good. So good. So I think, yeah, give yourself some freedom to just tack Jesus on at the end, if that's the best you can do right now, and, and make it a goal to grow in your capacity to find those pathways and to, to build the, the categories you have of what can I use here? How do the various texts of Scripture point to Jesus? And what are all the things available to me to make a sermon flow in a Christocentric direction? Because this is one of those places where you can build skill over time. Um, what, we're, what we're aiming at here is just saying that you should want to make sure that when your sermon manuscript is finished and you're ready to preach it, that we can see how Jesus is the center of the sermon. This really is the difference between gospel-centered preaching and more moralistic preaching. And I grew up in a tradition where there was a lot of moralistic preaching. People could say really good, true things from the Bible and just Jesus wasn't anywhere in the sermon. It's not that Jesus would have disagreed with the sermon, but he was not seen to be the point and the focus and the center point and the thing that makes it all possible. And so it's not that those sermons are wrong. Uh, here's how Brian Chappell says it. It's not that they're incorrect. It's that they're incomplete. They're, they're giving true information, correct information. But because they lack getting me to the cross and to the personal work of Jesus and to the resurrection and to the power of the Spirit, they're incomplete. Uh, if I'm going to teach on any moral command or imperative of Scripture, I've got to show how Jesus is central to actually being able to do the thing the scriptures are telling me to do. And so this is one of those things in a lot of preaching contexts where people haven't valued this the way they should. There's a lot for us to learn here in how to build sermons that really explicitly make Jesus the focus and the center as he is of the whole Bible. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about in a future episode, seven ways of making sure that our sermons are Christocentric. So we'll try to give you some help here and some tools.